Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I am hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Aha! Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Monkey tennis? Bring, bring. There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Dan! Monkey tennis? Love this, my foot on his thigh. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. No. Monkey tennis? Radical. Awesome. Mega. <laughs> Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. Okay. Monkey tennis? Edmunds is a total wazzard of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. They said, who the hell is that? <laughs> this is great banter. Yeah. Back of the net. Monkey tennis? The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it. Hello and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, where we continue our road to stratagem this week by looking at Alan's, Steve's 2008 show, Alan Partridge and other less successful characters. I'm Adam Brooks and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Stop. Nick Alder. Assess the damage. And Tom Stab. Take small steps in the right direction. So, in order to take small steps in the right direction, aka the new Partridge show stratagem, let's uh, revisit his most recent live work as Alan, I suppose. Correct. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, a 2008 tour. What else can the group tell us about the uh, the circumstances around this show or this tour? Well, I believe this this would have been his um, his first tour since the mega 1998 tour. So that I believe this toured October, November 2008 and was then released on DVD in November 2009. Uh, personally... I saw this at Hammersmith Apollo. I was certain that me, Nick and Adam went to Hammersmith Apollo to see this. 
Adam, you seem to not remember ever attending. I believe I did, but this was around the time of my drinking KFC heck. So I can't, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure that I was there, but I did pick up the DVD in a charity shop uh, a few years back and it, it didn't, it, it rang some bells. Um, so we've got to assume I was there, but you know, the past is very complicated. Nick, Nick um, do you have recollections of attending? I do. And not to get too much into this, um, I remember not loving it a little bit underwhelmed but i do remember attending um but i can't remember if it was adam or stab who attended um but as uh, adam already pointed out he, he was doing a lot of uh, uh, drinking and kfcing at that time <laughs> the colonel was weighing heavy on my mind um so this was an 86 date sold out tour so we did talk last week when we covered um his previous show that that was more of a 200 date small theater tour whereas i think this is a step towards that kind of comedy is the new rock and roll thing we were talking about where the venues are getting bigger um and the number of dates is getting smaller and uh yeah i i didn't see this at hammersmith apollo i remember uh trying to get tickets for london failing and i don't know i don't remember if it was just oh what else can we get or whether some extra dates went on sale but me and my friend chris went to oxford to go and see it and it's the one and only time i've ever got the oxford tube has anyone got the oxford tube the bus that goes from london to to oxford they call it the oxford tube for some reason um and yeah i went to go see it in oxford just tell it like it is mate call it a bus um <laughs> Yeah, the, the stats on the 1998 tour, The Man Who Thinks He's It, that was, yeah, uh, I think just over 200 performances and was, according to Chortle, seen by 350,000 people. So it would be interesting to know how many people this tour played to, because I think you're right, I think there were less dates, but I think the venues were bigger. So whether Coogan was still an even kid in terms of the live audience, because I guess we were quite a few years out away from Partridge by this point. Um, so yeah, there's a you know bit a bit of a gap there. Yeah, to some extent, I guess with perhaps the exception of Saxondale, everybody, every character on this tour is kind of a greatest hits type situation at this point, isn't it? No, we haven't heard mm. from any of them that recently. Um, obviously, we'll talk a bit about the less successful characters. We gain Tommy Saxondale. Do we lose anybody on this tour? That we is anyone not on this tour that was on the previous one? Uh, no, I think oh, we lose Tony Frino, so I think yeah. we've lost yeah. a Frino and gained a Saxondale. Fair and just trade. looking at the uh, yeah, which is fine. Uh, just looking at the mega timeline, I think Saxondale would have essentially been Coogan's most recent uh, comic creation on air. So I think series two of Saxondale was two thousand and seven. So in terms of Alan, um, yeah, the last time Alan would have been seen on television. Uh, was Anglian Lives in two thousand and three, as discussed a couple of weeks ago here. Um, and yeah, then we don't get any Alan on screen until 2011. So yeah, a bit of a fallow period in the world of Partridge here. Um, in terms of the proportion of Partridge as well, we did talk about this again last week, but Alan made up a smaller uh, segment of The Man Who Thinks He's It. Um, at this point, you know, Partridge, he's he's definitely the headline figure, he's in the title, you know, he's, he's taking the lion's share of the runtime. And obviously Stratagem uh, is the first time that we'll have a show that's 100% pure Partridge, which did make me wonder if perhaps Stratagem might be a slightly shorter show, um, whether they can sustain, you know, 90 minutes of pure Partridge um, or whether they're going to have to sort of break it up or cut it down. 
Can I just say, based on the ticket price alone, I really hope it's more than 90 minutes. <laughs> so do I. But there, bear in mind, there are a lot of American comics that charge the same amount for a 50-minute mm. show. Uh, you've got to hope that... And that doesn't mean that's okay either, Adam. No, it absolutely doesn't. <laughs> uh, we don't like American things when they charge 60 quid and leave after 45 minutes. <laughs> Sarah Silverman. Um, so um, the other thing I thought was noteworthy, just about the DVD of this, which I... I own thanks to a 49p impulse buy um is that the spine of the dvd presumably for space reasons but um it just says steve coogan as alan partridge live there's not even any reference to the other less successful characters um they, oh, they know what sells yeah i think they know what sells when you've only got a few seconds to quickly scan a dvd spine are there any like comedy quotes on it or anything like that like the man who thinks he's it dvd um, I spent so long looking at the spine that I don't actually remember if there are any good tidbits from the rest of the packaging. Were there any good comedy quotes or any other bits of information that we'd find useful? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit different to the 1998 DVD obviously had the Noel Gallagher quote on the front. And, you know, is that a real quote or not? We'll never know. Um, so this one does have genuine uh, quotes from press. And I guess, of course, this DVD release came a year after the actual live shows. But there is quite a lengthy bit from Alan uh, himself on the back that says, that says, humor's very important. A friend of mine had an operation where almost half his lower intestine was removed. I said, how are you? And he said, I'm feeling grammatical. I've got a semicolon. He was using humor. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a weird gag to take up a lot of space on the back well, of the DVD. It, especially <laughs> as, don't they basically use that verbatim later on yeah. in this show yeah. as well? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, taken from, it's yeah. taken from the content of this show itself, which is a bit odd. Yeah, uh, um, there is quite a nice bit underneath that, though, which says, whether you're a fan of live comedy, a Coogan lover, or simply one of this country's three million unemployed, this is a DVD <laughs> to be watched over and over again. Oh, that's quite a fun gag. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the, the rest of it is just legit. Uh, yeah, the Guardian that... saying, shamelessly funny. And the Times saying, some of the best laughs I've had all year. His talent for portraying feisty failures is as glorious as ever. Uh, we should probably get into the press reaction in more depth later on, I think. Indeed. Um, so do we need to talk about some of the less successful characters? So much like Alan's previous uh, live, or should say Steve's previous uh, live show, we open with Pauline Calf and we open with a song uh, about the Marriott Hotel. What are our thoughts on this as an opener? Mm, it's fine. It's I mean, fine. Uh, yeah. It's not... I mean, the song isn't that funny, is it? The, the routine no. isn't, isn't that good. Just, just to start, I mean, there's been one small, well, one quite large change to Pauline over the last few years. She's certainly got an upgrade in terms of her glam, hasn't she? Yeah. You're talking about the fake boobs, Tom. <laughs> no, I mean, in general, like, there's fake tan going on. Her hair is obviously a lot more styled. Times have changed since the early 90s, or sorry, the late 90s, I should say. Um, one thing I did like is that this song, like all the songs in this show, are are well written. Whether they're very yep. funny uh, is another matter, but it is, it's very clear what it's sort of a pastiche of, you know, the kind of Shirley Bassey Bond theme, like kind of classy, diva-ish soul song. Um, and, and for that part, I think it's, it's, it's very well composed, but whether it's hilarious or hilarious enough to open the show, I'm not totally sure. I think we talked, we talked about production in, in, um, the man who thinks he's it and kind of all sort of agree that production, the production values of the show are quite high. And, and I think you're quite right. The, the song is a kind of like, um, uh, a kind of a Bond-esque, um, uh, sort of anthem, but 
it, I mean, to, to answer your question, Adam, it's not funny. The, that, that song is not that funny. There really aren't that many jokes in it. It's it's sort of smirk-inducing, but it doesn't go beyond mm. that. And a, a, a wry smile and a nod, perhaps. Yeah. And I also I also feel like the promise of what, and I am jumping ahead slightly, but the promise of what that novel could have delivered from a comedy perspective was just never delivered on. What, one thing I did like, and maybe this is partly nostalgia and hindsight as well, is the the use that they make of sort of photos of minor celebrities, like the Katonas of this world, like appearing during the, uh, or sort of being referenced during the song. And I guess it's something we see again when Partridge comes up later, you know, in terms of yeah, the Kyles, the Llewellyn Bowens, the Feltzes, etc. Well, yeah. look, I mean, it's it, Ross Kemp is a through line of this entire show. They're absolutely <laughs> doing absolute Ross kicking. Kemp at every opportunity. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 I didn't find any of this any of this particularly strong, to be honest. The the the, the stand up itself, fine. The reading of the book that that section is very poor. It is, it's isn't not, it? It's not. It should, it's, it should it's not so good. good. It should have been so good. Like the That's, title of the book is Comedy Gold, and it never delivers on on the promise of of what that book could have uh, given. The thing, the thing about Pauline Calf uh, as a live character as well, it works the same time. Every Coogan live show that I've seen, it's always it's always Pauline reading a romance novel is like the end section of whatever kind of performance she's doing. So in a way that it does feel like, yeah, they're not really bringing anything massively new to the table with that. Um, and yeah, it, the actual reading thing itself just could have been so much funnier. However, I will say that she shut herself payoff at the end. That <laughs> that did stay with me. I remember that was again uh, uh, one of few highlights pre Alan in the show. I think, um, but I don't know. Like it's it's still not exactly a comedy classic, is it? Um, I also think it's worth it's worth mentioning that there is a John Leslie mention here, which uh, doesn't feature much in the uh, the Coogan canon. John Leslie, interestingly enough. Just a quick point. Obviously calling this show Alan Partridge and other less successful characters. Now, obviously, the other less successful characters are a bit of a self-referential, you know, self-deprecating dig. But by calling it Alan Partridge and other less successful characters, you are setting it up for everyone just sitting there waiting for Alan to come on, isn't it, basically? Like, that's what everyone's waiting for. That's what everyone has bought a ticket to see. Um, And, yeah, by opening with this, because I don't think I do remember going and being disappointed when the first thing I saw on stage wasn't Alan. And therefore it very quickly became apparent that we were going to have to wait until the midway point, the break, until we saw Alan. But you are kind of setting yourself up for a bit of a fall by calling it Mm. that, I think. Mm. I think that's sort of the point though, isn't it? Like, I do think that it's obviously very kind of self-aware and his career at this point was, you know, considerably bigger than, than what it was. And these characters haven't been touched really um and so i think that it's quite a knowing you know nod to kind of say look these might not be as popular as alan and alan has become a much bigger beast um so, so i sort of An think albatross. It's, just, it's yeah exactly so i think it's very it's very knowing and very kind of self-referential uh, we do see you, some nipple though you, <laughs> <laughs> you're a bit damned if you do damned if you don't if you're though because you also can't start the show with partridge because yeah. then where do you go from there <laughs> or, you know, if the first 45 minutes is Alan, then people are literally just leaving at the interval or something like, you know, it has to go this way round. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, it's a bit of a, a bit of an unenviable task, I think. Because tr- essentially you can't make this show balanced, even if you have 
five different characters in the first half, none of them are as strong, even if you're putting them all together. Um, the idea around Keegan being sort of self-deprecating, self-aware, I think is quite interesting because I'm sure we'll come on to the finale of this show as well, but it certainly it centres around Coogan's awareness of his own sort of reputation or persona. And I think there's something about that, about the naming of this show and about that, that finale where it's kind of like, I'm not totally convinced he's got the right to to sort of comment on his own character in the way that he does. Um, it's kind of like, is it is it quite accurate for him? You know, I don't know. It, we'll come on to this in, in the finale, I'm sure. But I think the other thing is that calling it Alan Partridge and less successful characters is not him accepting that any of the other characters are worse, only that the public's reaction to Alan <laughs> is better. And I, I wouldn't be surprised mm. if, there's, if there's something in the back of Coogan's mind where he's like, I don't actually think Alan is my best character. It's just been the best received. I think that's a really yeah. astute observation, yeah, because it's kind of essentially it's the public's fault that they've got it wrong and they haven't made them all as. as I mean, that's an assumption. Yeah, we don't, yeah. yeah, we don't, we don't actually know that. But I don't think anyone's actually, well, in none of the interviews that we've come across, anyone's actually asked him that. So, Steve, come on the show and let's put it to but, you. But you know, it could have been like Alan Partridge and other less loved characters or something. The fact that it's the benchmark is success, yeah, or the or kind the, of commercial achievement. Or the funniest thing to say would have been Alan Partridge and other less good characters, but I don't think he believes that. Mm. I'm sure he said somewhere something about I think he's definitely championed Saxondale as one of his favourite characters uh, at, be- at various points well um, that's a segue isn't it because it's Tommy Saxondale oh yeah so it is great <laughs> uh, am I the only one who hasn't seen any Saxondale uh, yeah I've seen it all yes that's yeah. mad yeah. I can't believe you've not yeah, seen yeah, it yeah yeah mad. just never got round to watching it I did check on iPlayer it's not available and I don't and won't have a Brickbox subs- subscription it's not on Brickbox either I've, I have looked oh. high and low for that show <laughs> um, I don't know why it's disappeared it's one of those kind of anomalies that you never see it popping up on streaming services um, and I, I, mm. I don't know why but I, I would love to rewatch it but it's just not available and I refuse to watch and or buy a DVD of it do you, do you think it might be that it isn't on streaming services because it was never that big, so the demand for replay value just isn't there? I think that's probably what it's going to come yeah, down possibly. to. Like, you know, it's probably in a massive queue of shows the BBC will eventually box out on iPlayer or BritBox or something, but yeah. it's not a priority. We'll put um, it this way. This yeah. section it hasn't got me rushing out to try and find <laughs> I, that DVD. Saxondale, it, it's fine. It, Saxondale is so much better than this this segment, though, because mm, I'd yeah. forgotten that Saxondale was a character in, in this show. So it was a nice surprise when that character came along and it was just such a disappointment, you know, listening to that character, knowing um, it, it is so much better than this. So I would say don't judge Tommy Saxondale on this on this segment alone. Do you think as oh, well? Would... Do you think as well? It's perhaps um, that all the other characters have kind of more of a natural reason to be on stage presenting or talking to a large audience, whereas Saxondale, it feels a little bit contrived that he's up there in the first place. It's not his environment, yeah. you know. That's not. That's not. It's not the environment. I think where Alan works in lots of different contexts, so you can have him on stage on the radio writing a book. Saxondale works as the series Saxondale. It doesn't translate as as well to the stage. I, I think I think you're really right. Although, to be honest, it actually when you when you break down a lot of these characters, it, it is that kind of thing where it doesn't really make sense that any of them are on stage to a certain extent because Duncan Thicke is a rubbish comedian, 
Uh, and yeah, but he's at least I, I a don't... performer, is what I mean. Like Tommy Saxonell is backstage crew, basically. He's just a bloke. Yeah, and I think and a lot of the a lot of the humor, a lot of the appeal of the series is about his sort of interplay with other people. And you put mm, him yeah. on his own on a stage talking to an audience that can't talk back. I think you lose a lot of that magic. Yeah, no, f- fair, fair. Um, I mean, I th- I thought as well. Really, you could the kind of how this section all plays out the kind of slideshow thing and the song and stuff it's like you could almost get any character doing it because it doesn't really tell you anything about tommy saxondale does it the link is basically drugs because he's involved in inverted commas rock and roll but it's I, i i yeah i just don't think any of the gags in this were particularly funny i think it all felt quite dated as well um mm. and i think there are a few gags in there which you just wouldn't do these days like there was a suicide bomber gag in it which i just felt that just felt really out of step in like one it didn't really fit with this whole section but two i think in 2022 i just just seeing that gag i was like i just don't think anybody would make jokes like that these days in a, in a big live show like this so who's up next oh actually it, 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 talking again about um songs that are functional and fairly well written but not necessarily funny i'd feel the same about lizzie q to be honest anyone else agree yeah uh, i mean it's yeah. It's, ca- it's a catchy enough hook isn't it but again it comedically ultimately pointless comedically yeah. it just doesn't really go anywhere i mean obviously there is a payoff but it's it's just not that great is it and i mean yeah it kind of did make me keen to revisit the the saxadale sitcom because i i don't think i've seen that since it was originally on telly but as discussed nowhere to officially view it anymore but um yeah, I think that's a fair assessment that don't judge Saxondale on this 10, 15 minute segment for sure. Fair enough. Uh, up next, it's it's Duncan Thicket then. And I'd be keen to hear what people think, given um, I was not a fan of it in uh, the last show and would continue that feeling of uh, really not enjoying this. Uh, anyone care to leap to the defence of uh, Duncan Thicket here? Hmm. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I like I like the bad I, I like the bad ventriloquist sure? dummy bit. The bad ventrilo- ventriloquist dummy bit I thought was good. I enjoyed that. That made me laugh. Mm, when he just I ends mean, up shooting it at the end <laughs> through I the mean, curtain. I absolutely love the Duncan Thicket 1998 set. This doesn't work oh, for me at all. I'm, it's it's fine. I did like the, the dummy bit, but that's it. The rest of it is fine. Like there's, I mean, for me, I do like the concept of this character. I like the kind of like, you know, he, he's, he's a shit comedian. And like we discussed it basically gives Coogan the opportunity to have his cake and eat it and sound like at a face level, he's telling shit jokes, but at a secondary level, he's kind of mocking whatever the comedic flavors of the time are. But the, in this 2009 show, there's, I think there's, there's a kind of level of surrealism he introduces, particularly with the ventriloquist dummy, which I just think kind of took away from, what the character should be about it should be a bit more grounded in terms of like you know he's basically like a rubbish comedian trying to make it and the fact yeah he shoots the dummy like that seems to me like they couldn't figure out how to end this segment much Mm -hmm. like the segment in 1998 that ends with him shooting the simon Pegg bog-eyed character as well so that just seems a bit... There's just so much repetition, whether it's Pauline Calf reading from a book or Duncan Thicket shooting somebody at the end of a section. It's like, you know, th- these are 10 years apart 
And essentially the grand punchlines, each segment seemed to essentially be the same, which I think is odd. Do you think there's an element of the 19... When they came to plan the, this 2008-2009 show, that the 1998 show was the last appearance of a lot of these characters. So they literally went mm. back to what they did then, tried to give it, you know, something of a polish and a, and a, and a reset, but actually didn't change it enough. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment. Yeah. And if I actually, let, let's let's come to this at, uh, kind of at, at the end after we've run through the show, but I don't know if you guys have dug out many of the reviews at the time. Oh, yes. But that gives some very interesting con- context to this whole show and the whole writing process around it, I think, which is perhaps somewhat telling why uh, some of this feels a bit lazy and rehashed. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> uh, should we move on to Paul Carf then? I mean, again, not doing anything for me this no. at all. <laughs> great great uh, also, impression of Stephen Hawkins, I will say that. Yeah, well, that's that was, exce- yeah, that I was mean, exceptionally good. It was a different time, Claxon again, uh, a whole song about a gypsy lover, not sure. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, also I th- a song about a gypsy girl, that feels a bit like, that could be like a Tony Farino song. Mm. feels like there are some of these things are kind of interchangeable, like it's Coogan's writing, but yeah. actually, like, you know, with, with Saxondale... His whole shtick could have basically any of those other characters could do that presentation, and I think Gypsy Girl could definitely be done by Tony Fruno or Paul Carf and still be the same. Which is, do you think perhaps fine at best? Perhaps there was an executive decision uh, once Tony Fruno was pulled, that it, but it, that he was kind of like, well, yeah, but I really like that song, um, so mm-hmm. mm, we could probably give it to Paul. Uh, ge- genuinely, wouldn't surprise me mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I mean, Ro- Ross Kemp gets uh, done over again in this segment. So that's <laughs> yeah. Him. <laughs> if he likes camouflage so much why can't I always see him on my fucking telly <laughs> that, that, that gets a chuckle every time from me yeah yeah. there's not much else though in terms of uh, comedy highs in this section uh, I would say no I mean you've got a Benny Hill style chase with a wheelchair and again that's kind of Coogan having his cake and eating it because he knows it's not in step with the times but because it's with the character he can get away with doing that um I thought there was a line when he says, when are you going to move that fridge off your lawn? That reminded me of Partridge obsession, Partridge's obsession with Stephen McComb. Is it Stephen McComb yeah. that has the yeah. fridge yeah. on the lawn? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think it's interesting how some of these ideas get repeated across characters. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's... it's A character like Paul Calf gets to target jokes at gypsies, the working class world... And kind of tell really un-PC jokes in a time where people are kind of assessing whether comedy is PC or not. But yeah, like I say, because he's using the character as the mouthpiece, Coogan gets away with it, basically. But is it actually good? I mean, it was was fine. It was just about (laughs) fine in the late 90s. I think when you get to 2008, Paul Calf, get rid of it. You heard it here first. Tom Dark says there was a time when all this material was fine. <laughs> yes, in the nineties. <laughs> but listeners, if you think differently to us, obviously we've given this a bit of a a, a kicking. If uh, you feel any different about the characters of uh, Paul and Pauline Carf, Duncan Thicket and uh, Tommy Saxondale, maybe this section, not Saxondale in general, because I think the broad assumption is that Saxondale is a good character and is a good series. But um, if you think differently to us, do let us know. I would say as well with Paul and Pauline Calf, like to be totally open about it, I don't really know enough about the early days of those characters in terms of their their origins to kind of it it 
it's hard. It's hard to cast a, a view on the characters overall. I, I only really know them from these stand-up shows, so I, I don't really know what their their wider kind of character arcs are like. Whereas something like Saxondale was like, yeah, that is a much more interesting quality character in a sitcom, in a sitcom format. Whereas the others, I just genuinely don't know. Shall we move into the main event? Um, Ooh, are you going to uh, rock us into forward solutions, Nick? Well, yes. And for me, I think the Alan Partridge uh, section opens with what I would probably describe as the comedy highlight of uh, the whole Alan Partridge uh, section with a kind of, should you call it an inspirational video that's kind of VO'd by uh, Rob Biden. are Um, Are you effectively saying that the funniest bit of this show is the bit where nobody's on stage? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to spoil it and, and jump ahead, but wow, I, I, I was really surprised um, at how underwhelming this <laughs> the next forty five minutes <laughs> were. Um, so let's let's try and make this this chat better than that section. But wow, I mean, I, I, I will say I think that this VT intro, which is probably what two minutes, there is actually a lot to say about it because. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot happening on the screen. There's a lot of information to absorb. It and uh, I mean, sh- should we start with the uh, the Zen? We have a Zen proverb, mm-hmm. and then a quote from T. S. Eliot. Then a quote attributed to Alan Partridge. Yes, which is uh, I like that he is effectively claiming to have come up with the phrase. Mm. If you want something doing right, you might as well do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, and and what I like about that as well. There's there's a real warmth to the laughter in in the room watch, watching watching this show back. You can you can tell how that audience are really willing. Right, this is Alan. This is going to be great. Mm. Um, I also like that the uh, the audience laugh becomes the punchline itself when Noel Edmonds appears on screen. Basically, yes. all it takes is a photo of Edmonds and the crowd erupts, um, yeah. which is its own insult, basically, isn't it? So I've tried to list everybody we see. So let me know if I've. I think I've, I've got a list anyone. of it too. So I'll, I'll sense check it with you. Yeah, please do. So I think we've got Gandhi, Martin Luther King, JFK, Churchill, Mandela. Then we move into Tiananmen Square. Then a rocket launching. Uh, then we've got Shakespeare. Then we, I think we've got Bill Clinton and Yasser Arafat. Then I think, is it Steve Redgrave? We've got yep. an Olympian. Yep. Yes, I think Steve Redgrave. Yeah. Yep. Okay, yep. then Einstein. Then Quentin Wilson from Top Gear. Yeah, brilliant. Cue laughter. <laughs> Great. Here we go. Mother Teresa. <laughs> Noel Edmonds, Q Laughter, Princess Di. Is that is that everyone uh, that features? Got, um, I, I think there's also uh, Vanessa. Oh, there, there's a, there's and... a, there's, a, there's another section of characters. Oh yeah, that come up. There, there, are, yeah. there are people coming up who the, his personal development program yeah. has helped, which is uh, yes. yeah. But there's so, also so before before we get to that, you've got yeah. words going, Chris. You've got inspiration, positive vision, leadership, commitment. I think yeah. I, I don't know if I missed any words there, but I yeah. thought and this you, really you, reminded me of what they do with the intro to Mid Morning Matters, giving a yeah. real gravitas to a show that just yeah doesn't require there. it. Yeah, and you have got Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen and Jeremy Kyle, um, which which are also uh, featured. Yeah, so um, those are people he's helped with forward solutions, right? Yeah, as well as Vanessa Feltz. Um, uh, and, and Paul Burrell? Well, yes. Well, yeah. well they, they, move on to, they move on to quotes, which are, in quotation oh, yeah, marks, yeah. from Paul Burrell, Vinnie yeah. Jones uh, and Ross Kemp. But I thought it was interesting, at this point, there's photos of those celebrities and there's a quote, but there's no name under the quote. They're not attributed. And I yes. wondered if this... <laughs> Very well, clever. At the time, I thought, presumably this means they can't claim on screen that these people actually said these things. But... 
Mm. Later on in this segment, Alan does directly quote Ross Kemp. <laughs> so that theory <laughs> is somewhat out of the window. I wonder if it's more just that they can't put it on screen that, that Vinnie Jones supposedly said what he said. Uh, in terms of testimonials, testimonials, you're also forgetting the Cheeky Girls and Ainsley Harriet. How could yeah. I? Uh, and I think Paul, Paul Burrell's quote is, Alan, you are my rock. <laughs> Vinnie Jones's quote is, Alan will knock some fucking sense into you. <laughs> and <laughs> Ross Kemp is... Thanks, Alan. You are the ultimate force. <laughs> great. That's really good. I thought, I, I, to the next point, this is really great, this section, but it, I, I also thought it does do a fairly good job of covering the fact we're now, everyone who's at this show has been watching 45 minutes of characters that aren't Alan. We're now four minutes into the Alan section and Alan has still yet to have made an appearance. <laughs> I do wonder, I was thinking about this though, and I wonder how much of this is like costume changes and behind the scenes production um, to, to, to basically get him into into character was, was my assumption here. Well, I think what they did at the live shows, I think the other actors that are quite uh, big parts of this, so um, Alice Lowe and Steve Oram, I think they did kind of like other skits on stage between characters whilst Coogan was doing costume changes and they're just not on the DVD. That rings a bell. I think that's... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I genuinely don't remember that, but I, I, I picked that out from a few uh, reviews of the time. I can't remember if at the time I knew who Alice Lowe was. I might have seen her in Garth Marenghi by this point, but so I might have recognised her. But Steve Oram, uh, I definitely didn't recognise at the time, but only going back and watching this, did I then obviously recognise him? Because they were in um, Sightseers together, Alice yeah. Lowe and Steve Oram, which is a yeah. great film if you have Fantastic seen it. Fantastic film, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's every time he pops up now, I'm always like, oh, it's your man from uh, Sightseers. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, I mean, just looking at her filmography, she had a small role in Hot Fuzz in 2007. She did. And a, yeah, a few things like a few bit parts in Mighty Boosh, Black Books, Garth Marenghi, Little Britain, IT Crowds. So yeah, only kind of bit parts and stuff uh, yeah, so by the time this this would have come out, yeah. I definitely would have recognised her then because I'd seen all of those things by yeah. this point. Yeah. Um, so to move on from the people that the, uh, the celebrities that have been helped by Alan's personal development programme, there's uh, there's a really nice uh, series of Vox Pops. Um, one quote I particularly enjoyed was, through Alan's forward solutions, I've realised there's more to life than friends and family. <laughs> so that's, that's the <laughs> takeaway. That's the takeaway here. Um, actually, you know, before um, we do cover more of the public testimonials, I did think that there was one little run of gags in this VT bit, which I thought didn't work very well, which is where he identifies English people, Irish people, Northern Irish people, Scottish people, Welsh people, and you have kind of very stereotypical imagery coming up. And I thought that did seem a bit route one, and I thought the Gibbons seemed better than that. I mean, the crowd, to be fair, the crowd absolutely love it and lap it up, but, you know, it's like... When he when he says Welsh people and it's a guy with his face pixelated with a sheep, it's like, come on, you can do better. Yeah, I I think that I mean I think the 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 sort of wider takeaway though is that I think you can see with this whole section that they're kind of finding their feet with the character, and if you compare it to where they are now with that character, I just they would never do anything like this. Not just in not just in the interest of taste and and kind of decency and and whatnot. I just think that they have a much better grasp of how to work with that character now. Whereas I think back then they were probably finding their feet and, and hadn't really kind of sort of created their own tone of voice for Alan. I guess it's also kind of like do some route one jokes just to get the audience fully on board. Like, you know, that does, yeah. they, that all those things do get big laughs in the room. Exactly so their level. It's exactly their level. <laughs> um, to go back to the, the public testimonials then, 
But my first kind of note on this, though, a lot of these are badly lit. Some of them are even in the wrong aspect ratio. I just thought, <laughs> is it is this bit deliberately bad as like a Pear Tree Productions type joke? Or was it done on a rush? Or was it done in a rush or on a budget or something? It's It's weird how bad quality this little section is didn't you think uh i didn't clock the aspect ratio to be honest but if that's the case then yeah that's that is poor but you know there's like one where it looks like a man standing outside a lift and he's got yeah. a shadow over half his yeah. face it's like what yeah I, I just i wondered if it was deliberately bad but i'm not sure that's the sort of gag that would really read for a live show i'd like to think that it's basically that it's because alan's basically has to chase these people at the end of giving them the the chat and getting a box spot from them in whatever situation he can but i don't know that it's been given that much thought to be honest with you well i mean after doing a bit further research i did realize so one of the testimonials uh, you have the woman in the hijab and they've done the voiceover saying uh if these idiots at the bbc knew what they were doing they would commission a 13-part series tv based on his inspirational talks so that <laughs> i i worked out was filmed on the corner of oxford street and rathbone place that is about two minutes away from a lot of TV production comedy offices like around the kind of Tottenham Court Road area. So <laughs> I think that would indicate this perhaps was done in a rush because you've got talk back offices about two minutes in one direction and you've got the baby cow offices about two minutes in the other direction. <laughs> a great spot. <laughs> so they've literally popped out on a lunch break and done that. Well done. That is an amazing spot. <laughs> send, the, send the work experience out. Can you film that? Yeah. Um, so fresh from inspiring six people at Shelley's Shoes, it's Alan. Uh, finally, we actually get to see Alan. <laughs> Um, notable that his dancing girls are called Hot Pot uh, and also one of his puff flashes fails right away which uh, I pretty should have remembered it seems I saw the show live but I did predict at that point that that was going to make an appearance later on and was proven right um, sponsored by Whiskers uh, probably one of the biggest running gags I think that's you know People who did see this in 2008, that's probably the one thing that everyone remembers because it, it features so heavily. Uh, also notable that Whiskers is spelled correctly here, um, presumably so that it can't be claimed that the actual brand Whiskers had anything to do with this. <laughs> yeah. I remember finding the Whiskers part of the show hilarious at the time. And again, rewatching it, I was like, ah, it's fine. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was kind of underwhelmed with that whole Whiskers thing. It, it didn't seem as funny as it did back I'd then. I agree. I think it was funny in the room, but that's because we weren't expecting it. I, so I think that's one of those yeah. gags that only works on the first viewing. Do you also, and again, obviously, because he turns happen. around and it's on the back of the jacket as well, yeah. so there's a visual gag yeah, as well. Yeah, which, which ties back nicely to the Castrol GTX reveal as well mm. uh, in I'm in a Partridge. So it kind of, it, 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 sort of, it builds if you, if you know you're Alan. Um, also, I do think I do think Whiskers was just more of a global powerhouse in 2008. I feel like <laughs> you don't hear so much from Whiskers these days. You also have a, a gag with writing on the back of Tommy Saxondale's jacket in this show. So, yeah, yeah. yeah just doing the same yeah. old jokes again. <laughs> <laughs> so, straight away, we're treated to a, a Queen medley. Um, how do people feel this compares to, obviously, Kate Bush is the, uh, the, the one that we enjoyed or endured last week. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's too short to be really considered mm. a medley because I think it's only two songs and I feel like either it should be is three. It three okay it doesn't feel like it's yeah don't stop me now we are the champions and under pressure I think it's just yeah three. okay okay um yeah I mean I, I'm feeling under, un, fairly underwhelmed by it. it it's just Kim kind of singing fairly badly to Queen which I didn't find hugely funny no it, it doesn't feel as well considered as something like the Kate Bush medley which was you know that that medley is kind of like I don't know, about six or seven songs. I don't have that in front of me. But that that seems like they've really honed in on how to make those songs seg from one to the other. And the fact that 
we talked about kind of how he makes that such a kind of physical performance. Yeah, this feels a lot more rushed out and it's almost a bit like, how can we fill two minutes and make a reference to some kind of music out that Alan would love because we've already done Kate Bush and we've already done ABBA. Um, as I said last week as well, I think a lot of the humour with Kate Bush is that she's singing in metaphors, but he's acting it out mm, <laughs> literally. Mm, Whereas yeah. with Queen, there isn't that level of subtlety, is there? Like there's no metaphor. What you hear is what you right. get with Queen and everybody kind of knows that. So, you know, the song Under Pressure is about being under pressure. The song We Are The Champions is about celebrating, you know, <laughs> success. So it's kind of... Yeah, it, it doesn't really work in the same way. We also get the uh, Glenn surprise me in rehearsals, please line. Yep. <laughs> which they absolutely love recycling that gag as well. That is featured in so many different iterations of Partridge now. I would say that the uh, the highlight of the Queen medley is the small fart you get. When yes, you <laughs> yeah. that's quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> and th- Never yeah, not funny. The farting joke is yeah. not very uh, Partridge territory, I would say, but it is funny and it does work. And actually, I... He does less often attacks in Inspector's face. He does have True. form. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, and there's so- <laughs> Sonia's whoopee cushion as well. Yeah, that's that's not necessarily his choice, but again, I, I see what you mean. And uh, yeah, <laughs> fair. <laughs> uh, do we need to talk briefly about the uh, downsizing of Hot Pot? Uh, they were formerly Hot Pot and Red Cabbage, but he had to let Red Cabbage go because of the credit <laughs> crunch. <laughs> I mean, is there... Am I reading too much into this or being too smutty? Is there a sort of implied joke about one of them being called Red Cabbage and what that implies for hair colour? curtains and cuffs etc uh, uh, I think I think you're overthinking it now have I gone, You've too, gone far? too far have I gone too I think far? get your mind out <laughs> of the gutter <laughs> I, I felt that very much that Hot Pot and Red Cabbage was he basically had two brunettes and a redhead and he's had to make a tough decision because of the credit crunch <laughs> uh, should we move on to uh, our, our has and the, uh, the the multiple use thereof uh, yeah as long as you don't want to dwell on him just basically going oh hello girls getting changed I don't mind they do mind again it was a different time <laughs> Uh, isn't this also the point where he says ooh bras and then the missing puff flash goes off and takes him by surprise oh, yeah, s- very enjoyable yeah yeah that, that's that's a nice bit of kind of slapstick comedy the, the mistimed puff flash puff flash that's good it's fine it's fine <laughs> I mean it's <laughs> alright we don't go anything from really good to fine. fine I mean that's a that's a broad review of the show isn't it anyway yeah well away. I just feel like that kind of like multiple <laughs> use of ahas I, I feel like if you're going to recycle things that is quite funny to be reminded that Steve basically hates people, you know, um, using aha in kind of the real world is obviously what you're supposed to kind of read between the lines there. And I do think that I'll never tire of hearing Steve be uh, frustrated about, you know, being bothered, basically, <laughs> uh, when people see him kind of in, in the real world. So that that kind of felt like something I was happy to see again. What what comes next after that? Is it him shitting his pants in PC world? Well, there's, there's a, bit, a bit before that. Um, where he says, uh, I enjoyed that he says, let me start by taking you back in time to late August. So it's like implied <laughs> that you're going back years, but obviously not much. Um, and he pictures the scene in Admiral's Cocktail Lounge in Bournemouth. Um, I did look this up. There's an Admiral's Walk in Bournemouth, but sadly no lounge. Ah, and um, I believe he is there with uh, Monty Don, Dante, etc. Uh, and Alastair Stewart from Police <laughs> Camera Action, Action, which is a great reference uh, to probably, I guess, in 2008 when it was probably more of a thing. Um, like, yeah. yeah um, and there's a, there's a joke at this point where I was a bit conflicted because I found it funny, but I was like, should I find it funny? Is it appropriate? Um, does uh, anyone remember the uh, the Pet Shop Boys joke with the the dirty fingers? I kind of, I felt, yeah. I felt guilty. I felt guilty <laughs> yeah. laughing at it, but I did I find mean, it, it funny. Yeah. 
It does feel like it's laced with homophobia, doesn't it? Just a touch. Yeah. yeah. It did, I didn't feel comfortable he's, laughing, he's, but I did find myself yeah. chuckling. Essentially, he's happy for Monty Don to have dirt under his fingernails. He's a gardener, but if you see the same thing with the Pet Shop Boys, he considers it a bit unsavoury. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 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 A, a different time. Yeah, but it's not long before he's recovered it with a line that I'm sure everyone can get behind. My mind wandered back to that time five years earlier when I shat my pants in PC World. <laughs> that is, in so many ways, an explosive line. And I also think shat my pants in PC World has got the sort of cadence to it that has been worked on a lot. You know, you know that that's been, it's been shat, it's been pooed, it's been messed, it's been pants, it's been trousers, it's been PC world, it's been curries, it's been, you know, they've probably been through every, mm. every combination, like a Richard Scary book of how that sentence could be constructed. <laughs> and I think shat mm. my pants in PC world, it doesn't get better than that. <laughs> yeah, it is good. And, and, you know, again, the, the audience, they do love that line as well. That, that goes down quite massively followed up yeah. quite quickly with five years ago nobody gave a damn about Wales now they make Doctor Who there <laughs> which I thought I, <laughs> at, at this point I started to really feel like you could really see the difference between this and 98 Live Allen. this feels much more tailored I think there's been a bit more care and the material at this point at least I think is, is quite a bit punchier yeah a little bit a little I guess bit. they're kind of in, in, inhabiting like just Alan as a character is in such a different place here because i guess in 98 you know you're you're in the thick of it between the iron man and partridge series is so it's all about that still want to be a successful chat show host and it kind of i think it almost kind of writes itself at that point in the late 90s whereas here you've got he's been away for so long you need to create a bit of a backstory and kind of I think, add a bit more details to the character, which I think is exactly what the Gibbons start to do here, yeah. Uh, there's a nice bit where he, uh, as he often does, loses an argument with himself, imagining what the audience might be asking at this point. Um, yeah, always nice to see him try and imagine someone else's viewpoint and basically end up losing an argument on his own. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Uh, so after shatting himself in PC World, uh, Alan basically checks into an Ivis in Canary <laughs> Wharf and pays £14 to watch Billy Elliot, which uh, I must admit I did enjoy because I could really kind of uh, imagine that. But uh, upon watching Billy Elliot, this was the, the thing that kind of inspired him to change, and that's where we get forward solutions management. Uh, we also hear from some uh, testimonials. Does anyone have any notes on that? I've got bullet-headed <laughs> Ross Kemp, the TV tough guy. Yeah, bullet. Again, do stick the knife yeah. into Ross Kemp yeah. there, uh, Steve. I also enjoyed that research shows Ross Kemp's audience is mainly bold men in their 30s that share rented accommodation <laughs> with a dangerous dog. That was brilliant. That was so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've nailed that. That's absolutely uh, Ross's level. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, is James Hewitt? Yeah. Yeah. And then... And. Do, do you then have the Burt Quat Ken Hom Hot Wat Gok Wan endorsement? Yeah. <laughs> And then the kind of like the build on that when he kind of says, but seriously, what, what Kong showed? And he's now calling him Kong. <laughs> again, I put, I, again. I, my notes My notes at this point say this ranks highly amongst bits that wouldn't work yeah. now. And also, if you look closely, no, definitely not. if you look closely, this is the closest Coogan comes to corpsing as well. He's, he's, he's on the verge of breaking in this section, I think. Yeah, it, it's... I also wonder... In a lens of 2022, would you do this? I don't think you would. Much like no. you saying the Pet Shop Boys thing. Like, because I, you know, it is funny because I think what makes it funny is the quick exchange, like rattling through all those different names and getting it wrong. But obviously, there is quite a kind of racial undertone that makes it feel a little bit awkward viewing uh, now, I think. I think you'd have to work differently, arguably work mm. harder in 2022. <laughs> um, yes. But I did enjoy the line, you can guarantee when Paul Burrell tells you something, it will be 65% true. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. That's good. Um, you also get the, as we mentioned earlier, the semicolon joke uh, at this point as well, which is good, but as we've said, printed in full on the DVD cover. So unless you were there live, it, if you bought this on DVD, you've read the joke come, already. It, I think it comes out of nowhere, right? Like, there's no context to this. I think this joke just kind of, it's as if they had the joke and they just had to get it in there. There's no setup to it. It's so weird. It's not even that good, but it's in the live show and on the DVD I think the joke case. is actually, sorry, but I do, I do think the joke is good. But because it comes out of nowhere and it's not really part of the sort of supporting narrative, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's inexplicable as to why it's there. It's just like, oh, this is a good joke. We've got this. Let's just put it in there. The only reason I could think that it was on the DVD cover was perhaps there'd been some sort of marketing decision that it's been three years since I'm Alan Partridge was on TV. People need an extra little nudge to remind themselves of like the brand of humour. Like somebody looks at the front cover, they're like, oh, Alan Partridge quite enjoyed that. Turn to the back, read a joke from Alan. Yes, this is funny. I'll buy it. But it, but it's a joke that centres around some quite basic word plays. So again, it's one of those jokes, any one of these characters could tell that joke in their segment and it would in yeah. essence work it is it is baffling it's weird i mean and also yeah. talking about very basic wordplay there's then the joke about the iphone and the wii being combined to be the yi yeah. which i was a bit like no rubbish. not having it yeah and and th- this is basically what the digi wall is now right like you can see they've really honed that kind of style of humor and it really mm. works in the digi wall and i feel like there were multiple occasions where this kind of like it was quite funny that it was rubbish tech and like the gauntlet was quite funny. Also nice to be reminded what Windows XP looked like, but other... <laughs> yeah, really enjoyed, really enjoyed other that. Than that and, and, like, what? And, and also 
nice nice to have finally have some airtime devoted to Jimmy Nail, who supposedly developed the the YI with Alan <laughs> yeah. and Intel. Now, I mean, presumably his name's only come into it because <laughs> because of where he's from, and that justifies the YI name. But I did look into mm. Jimmy Nail a little bit. He really disappeared. He he retired but came back for a, a play with Sting about the shipyards that they both grew up on, but ended up not, oh, wow. not reprising the role in Newcastle, and that was it. But if you look at Jimmy Nail, he had no acting experience. He ended up on a show getting 10 million viewers. He then had a number one single, and he was then in Evita with Madonna. That is that is a life. He was in Evita? Yeah. Wow. Well, I've learned Fair something play. tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Fair play, Jimmy Nail. Lovely crocodile shoes. Hey everyone, producer Jed here. Just another note to say that the boys missed something. The fact that Jimmy Nail, especially Crocodile Shoes, is very apt to a particular circle because Jimmy Nail is my dad's best friend and he named the lead character of Crocodile Shoes after me. Google it. Uh, before we go further into the uh, interactive glove section, just, just quickly, uh, did you guys get down the list of things that once broken can't be fixed? Uh, I know Hyman's is in there. <laughs> light bulbs is that? Is that? You've, you've gone straight for the straight, straight for the, the big punchline there. Yeah, you've got light bulbs, Amstrad Hi-Fi, and Hyman's. Great. We can now go back to the interactive glove section. I think this section we're, we're entering a period of for me fairly lacklustre humour, um, and the gauntlet is in part to blame for this just not working. Because this whole section, you know, is kind of Alan using interactive tech, I think, to try and make some kind of point about Ford Solutions. I mean, I'm still not really clear what the hell Ford (laughs) Solutions even is, having watched this section. And obviously, that is part of the joke. But I didn't find much of this particularly funny, where we start to find out um, some examples of kind of positive, positive people. Yeah, I I thought this bit felt very flat to me. And I don't know Mm. if... If in 2008, 2009, it was better because I feel like the the celebrities, for want of a better word, that he uses in this section just don't feel like great punchlines. Like Trevor Phillips, Bernard Matthews, fine. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's quite funny the fact that he just goes with a character named CSI Charles Brownlow from the bill because he doesn't know his actual name. Yeah. Um, The guy's real name is actually Peter Ellis, who was in the bill for 16 years. Um, But it's just... They just don't feel like great targets. It's like Ross Kemp, yes. Lawrence of Ellen Bowen, yes. Like Better. those <laughs> things make more sense and they feel more part of like the world of Partridge. And I don't know, maybe maybe these felt like more significant names back in 2008. But maybe. again, much I'm like you say, sure. Nick, as well, it just, I mean, I know part of the joke is you come away from this whole thing going, you don't really understand what Forward Solutions is. But this whole section just doesn't do any job I don't think. I do agree, although I enjoy the inclusion of Bernard Matthews because he's mentioned elsewhere in the APEU. Um, he yeah. actually died two years after this show went out as well, so this is arguably at, at its peak. Um, and I did I did like, I mean, this is a bit of an obvious one, but I did like the line where he's kind of like, he really does have Chicken's best interests at heart. I was chatting to him about this at a cockfight in his front room. And yeah. there's a whole bit about sort of, um, there's a whole kind of confused bit about whether, whether they're referring to chickens or ladies, which brings me to today's quiz. Uh, chicken or lady um I, i've got nine right, go i've got nine names that some of them are chicken breeds some of them are the names of genuine greek princesses chicken or lady number one brilliant FG- group consensus yeah group consensus evgenia evgenia go for chicken or lady greek greek princess would be my would be my i was gonna say, i was gonna say chicken Oof. 
I was going to say chicken. It's, oh, it's, let, let, I think Tom, let's go Greek. It's the Greek princess, correct. Uh, num- number two, Tirana. Uh, chicken. Sounds like Vic Reeves on Chicken. Stars. Chicken. <laughs> Ovafu, it's chicken. Uh, number three, <laughs> Campine. Ooh, good. C-A-M-P-I-N-E, Campine. That feels yeah, chickeny to me, guys. That feels chickeny to me. It's chicken through and through. Number four. Ooh, we're three for three. Ikaterini. Princess. Greek princess. princess. Correct, that's a princess. Uh, number five, Cotton Teen. Cotton Teen. Can we spell it? Yeah, C O T E N T I N N E. Princess, do we think? Or it could be the way. I think. Oh, I'm going chicken. I, I'm. Mm, I feel like chicken tonight. Uh, you, <laughs> it's chicken tonight. Uh, number six, limousine. 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 Spelt princess exactly as you'd expect. A limousine chicken? No, I don't think you'd have a limousine chicken. <laughs> princess limousine? Is it limousine yeah, chicken it, coming to Tesco's knee? Is it princess uh, limousine Gre- or is it chicken Gre- princess? limousine? Princess. It's a chicken. Oh, you were doing so well. Oh. oh. Number seven, Kaikilia. Princess. Goddess. Princess. Goddess. <laughs> princess. We've, we've upgraded to goddess. <laughs> yeah. goddess. It's, it's a princess. Uh, number eight, the penultimate <laughs> chicken slash lady, Yamuna. Y a m u n a. Oh, Yamuna. Uh, chicken. Okay, chicken. Let's go. It's a chicken. And finally, yeah. number nine, Alexandria. Now. Could go either way. Ooh, Is he trying to oh, trick us in? That really could be either, couldn't it? I'll tell you what, this must yeah. be a great listen. Um, Let's okay, go chicken. chicken. Okay, fine. Chicken it is. He's tried to, he's yeah. tried to bamboozle us. Yeah, and he has successfully bamboozled you because <laughs> Ale- Alexandria is both a Greek princess and a chicken breed. We're all winners. <laughs> well, we didn't know we could say, give that as an answer. Thanks for so, playing fine. chicken yeah, or princess. Will that be back next week as a new regular feature? It will be because, as Jimmy Dale said to Alan, I didn't fuck a boot. And he didn't, he really didn't. <laughs> Um, so we're at the point now where the jokes about the mistaken rude pick appearing uh, come up. Uh, keen for Nick's thoughts on this, because I thought this was quite funny. In high, in 2022, it feels like a bit obvious. Uh, is it funny, Nick? Is it funny? Uh, no, it's not. Because again, much like the, much like the gauntlet is, you know, uh, not how it should be done. And the Digimon is how it should be done. I think what they did with this time where you saw him in the garden with his kind of dirty boy outfit... Uh, the picture, the picture of Michael, him in the car. Um, so the way that he did that in this time is yes, that's how to do it. This with just like random sex pictures, you're just like, no, it's not funny uh, for me. It didn't work. But do you, do you think? I, I, I would imagine it probably was funny in the room at the time. But I think with the benefit of hindsight yes. of seeing this done, basically seeing this joke done much better in this time, we're able to go, yeah, it's not great. I also think even if the scrolling uh, and the kind of BDSM imagery isn't funny in and of itself, him having to say whiskers to get rid of it, I think is the bit is the bit that, that, that was worth, That's good. worth the trouble. Like, a, like yeah. a safety word. <laughs> yeah. And also just a great association for the brand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is it time for Alan's caring yeah, hands? Yeah, it is. Enter Jackie and Jackie Tootle. I mean, I, I assume the first point that we're going to uh, touch on is the lengthy kiss, which you get no real sort of further explanation. Or That's not quite true, but I, I think the explanation that you do get is unsatisfactory and doesn't lead me to find that joke particularly funny. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think, um, you know, that there is something of a history around this period of Partridge of oddness for its own sake. For example, sawing up his cereals outside the static caravan. But it would work better if, if yeah, if it was tied back to some sort of meaning. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, I don't know what everyone else thinks, but this section, oh, this is not good. And I feel like so much of this humour or the, the, the kind of the big... The climactic part of this joke um, is to do with the tech kind of not failing as such, but a prompt kind of uh, coming up on the screen where um, Alan's asked if... Do you want a bigger penis? Yeah, and like that joke takes quite a while to resolve itself and pay off and it's not that funny. I think the only kind of thing that would probably explain it and maybe make it funnier in 2008 is, you know, pop-ups were a thing and they're probably less of a thing now with the way that kind of just technology's moved on so it's like yeah yeah, i remember that it was quite funny but good god like the payoff to that joke is not strong enough and it takes too long to get there i i partially agree but i think again like the um the the bdsm imagery the funny bit with that was him having to say whiskers to get rid of it with this the the sort of the kind of penis ad and him accidentally ordering it is is one thing but the bit i did enjoy was where he's sort of composing the email to them afterwards and he's going back and like yeah. editing his own choices big to bigger happy to very happy cock to genital cock which is really funny because like does he think they would mistake it for a cock crawl is that the joke you know length girth you know all that sort of thing i i thought i thought that bit kind of if they just left it as the basic gag it would have felt a bit lazy but i think they did try to go the extra mile and add a sort of a secondary punchline to it yeah i'd agree with that t on that i enjoyed it um should we review uh alan's uh 1992 where interestingly he also talked about his 1992 in the previous live show because uh, mm. it was the amstrad's presentation year uh, yes. he won that he won the what was it the he won a boat and also his wife left him but <laughs> soon came back. So he In says here, dinghy. yeah, that's it. So he says here, 1992 was a good year for him. Uh, it's when he got VAT registered, uh, his <laughs> wife lost weight and also his noisy neighbour had a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just, just getting a bit more detail yeah. there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. Also, he's he's effectively claiming that he knows how uh, how Jackie feels. Where uh, Jackie wasn't Jackie raped effectively. That's that's the no, it wasn't. That's the uh, guy. I mean, burgled. And yeah, yeah. They're both Jackie. They're both oh, Jackie. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, bound, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bound, burgled, and, and buggered. And then he says he knows the feeling. Uh, and, yeah. But but all he has to qualify that is that he had his mortgage application turned down. Yeah. Uh, well, I think you can kind of layer in. We've seen all the kind of S and M photos, so perhaps that's mm. that's been layered into that gag. But I don't think that really reads that immediately in the in, in the room, as it were. No, uh, there's there's a kind of a nice bit of wordplay where where Jackie starts saying, "What's interesting is," and then he says, without knowing what she was going to say, <laughs> "What's more interesting is," and then goes into goes into his own story. So, Let's talk about <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a bit of a precursor to him sort of cutting off psychic Simon talking about his like adoption and things like that, isn't it? That he just you know, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. just waiting for his opportunity to tell his story. I mean, I'm 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 kind of with Nick on this section. Like, it's not great, but then I do think the overarching gag with this whole thing is that you you never hear how or why anyone's actually benefited from Forward Solutions because they never uh, get to make it. We don't even point, know what it is yet. Because Alan always interrupts. Well, be fair, yeah. they got a free tin of fish symphony cat food between them. <laughs> I did love that. I did think that was actually quite funny. The idea of a, you know, um, a whiskers kind of uh, flavour being described as a fish symphony, I actually thought was very funny. 
Um, is it time to discuss what Ford Solutions actually is? I mean, I think we've been going for about half an hour at this point, and we still don't know what it, it is. It, it definitely is time to uh, to hone in on the central thesis of Ford <laughs> Solutions. But did anybody before the before the logo started firing? explosive sperm around the screen did anybody notice that it was shaped like a cock and balls <laughs> no <laughs> no <laughs> uh, but of course it is um and so yes uh forward solutions much like his tactics in the man who thinks he's it is a three-point plan um we've, we've covered this at the top of the episode but uh it's it's stop assess the damage take small steps in the right direction um Obviously, there's lots of humour to be wrung out of this. One thing I enjoyed is that his three-point system in The Man Who Thinks He's It was very much about making the best of or making the most of your potential. Now, that's been downgraded very much to just recovering from a fuck-up yeah. that's already happened. Yeah, <laughs> mm, yeah, that's that's really good, actually. Yeah, assess the damage. So something's already gone catastrophically yeah. wrong. Yeah. And, and, and obviously, the fact that the third point takes small steps in the right direction. Well, how many steps? What are those steps? How do they work? You know, that basically should be what Forward Solutions is all about, but it's glossed over as one bullet point. And, I mean, reading somewhat between the lines and, and, and who knows slash who cares, but it this this feels like it's entirely come out of this this PC world mishap, right? This isn't this isn't actually a kind of like a, a point around how to kind of, you know, empower yourself as a person. This is, if you shit yourself in PC world, these are the steps that you need to take. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's very much a scenario here where he, shuffling away, shuffling out of PC world with shit all over him, <laughs> is thinking to himself, do you know what? This actually is quite a good, quite a good advice just for life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think we kind of... Uh, enter again and another bit of a weak section where the, the the gauntlet kind of rears its head again and you you kind of get alan um with a kind of a shotgun sort of blasting away um you know negative feelings and and then there's a kind of like point where you see various people from hitler and jfk and i don't know what we all thought but again i just think this this is not strong this this section uh, I agree, and I feel I feel a bit like this was almost in there just to kind of tick off some touch points that people recognise from other Partridge. So he's shooting shitty zombies, um, which we've you know people have recently heard about from Iron Man and Partridge. Um, and you say recently, that's still about what six years after the fact. Well, that's true. It's not yeah. even that recent. Uh, and once again, a bit like Force McAllister, he basically has to exit the stage having shot someone by accident. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but it was a bit. It, not not that funny, and it's like, yeah, he shot JFK, but it's like, well, he didn't shoot JFK. There was just a bit of a technical glitch, but it's it's sort of played out as if he's actually kind of caused you know harm to someone. And I agree, they're they're riffing on that kind of Forbes McAllister thing, but yeah, ultimately, it doesn't it doesn't pay off. I, I think it's actually perhaps it's because I think in the world of Alan these kind of punchlines centering around him having a conversation with Hitler and then JFK, I just don't think they really work. If this was like Ross Kemp and Paul yeah, Burrell or yeah, something, definitely. it would actually be much funnier. Now, obviously the, the concept would have to change slightly because you know, fine, you're shooting JFK, which is reacting, what ha- reenacting what happens to JFK. But I just think Alan going into kind of legitimate historical figures as targets, in, t- in terms of like punchlines, I just 
just doesn't feel like it really gels with everything else we've we've seen and, and known of the character up to this point. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's part of the character that he is has an interest of some kind in history. But I, I genuinely, I've got in my notes here, is Alan's love of history something the writers keep pushing? It doesn't actually make for great Alan content. Does anyone want an Alan historical documentary? Isn't that itch better scratched by non-Alan projects like The Witchfinder in the Gibbons or, or and Armando Inucci's books? And I think... It's it's relevant to this next section, the play about Sir Thomas More as well. Yeah, no, I, I think that's I, th- I think that's really interesting. I, I've also kind of noticed that I feel like Alan being a history buff is perhaps something the Gibbons team introduced. I don't really feel like that was a strong part of the character before. I feel like this is the first time this is really brought to the fore, having this play, this I Am More play, which I think we can all agree isn't that great either. Yeah, and I, I, I totally agree on that. But what I would say is, again, much like the digital wall, the gauntlet, um, when you have things in mid-morning matters with like King and Carr, uh, and they're talking about, you know, Henry VIII driving a Range Rover Evoke and Alan getting kind of very excited about that and going, yeah, absolutely. And the confusion with Oliver Cromwell, Thomas Cromwell, there's moments where this has worked. But I think I think the big thing to say here with this play is, because we've seen the play work with Hannigan and, you know, that's that's executed very, very well. This is quite long and, frankly, a bit of a humour vacuum. There's actually very little humour or it's quite an odd choice, isn't it? Yeah, I I think one of the things here is that it's one of the first examples of the humour coming from Alan's editorial choices, like Pear Tree and Oast House stuff. But I don't know that that translates very well to a live show. I think there's a lot of exposition at the start that's quite funny, but no one's laughing. It kind of goes over the audience's heads. and yeah, for every for every kind of bit that's quite funny, there's a misfire. I think um, I liked the accidental whiskers coming up on the back screen when they're talking about Catherine of Aragon's top lip, and and so the sponsorship comes up. And I like later on when it becomes obvious that the play is sort of a vehicle for him to push forward solutions again. Um, but yeah, the kind of historical aspects of it don't land. I don't think. I think what's actually interesting with the benefit of hindsight and further Coogan Gibbons work is actually I think. The more you know about the character, I think what they've layered in is essentially he's like a wannabe history buff. So doing this thing around Thomas More, who was a key historical figure around the time of Cromwell. Uh, so I think basically what what there's a very long drawn out gag that the Gibbons have established is essentially Alan's historic knowledge begins and ends with the fact that he read Wolf Hall. So Wolf Hall is about Thomas More and Cromwell and stuff. And, and it was a hugely successful novel, I think, in like the 2014-15, something like that. Um, so, no, sorry, no, it was a TV show then. So I think around the time of this tour, I think it was a very successful novel. So I think they've taken that kind of through line through to Mid-Morning Matters and other stuff where it feels to me like Alan has basically read one book, which is a historic novel, and that's all he knows. Um, it felt to me as well like th- this didn't really get going until the play is somewhat unraveling um, and it's about Alan struggling to make it work like when he drops his loot and then his chair I thought that was quite a good bit of physical comedy and he gets stuck in a loop and he's like unhand me I'm Roger Moore shit I've done it again um, <laughs> and I thought it, this is a rare occasion where enough people have allowed one of Alan's projects full budget full cast he's been given himself enough rope to hang himself or in this case show that he's not capable of a five minute play um, and then he obviously goes off stage, thinks the mic's off. You hear him saying it's a fucking disaster, which I thought was good because I think one thing we do all love is backstage Alan. Um, and it's quite it's quite hard to get that in a show where he's supposedly presenting to you in real time. Um, so that bit I quite enjoyed. Um, 
I also thought it was interesting at the end that they impaled his head on a spike. Um, yeah, that's a nice little uh, callback, isn't it, that I think fans of uh, Alan Ball kind of really appreciate. I mean, I, I did like the the kind of ending gag here where he says he was voted the 37th Greatest Britain nine places ahead of Boy George. And I I feel like Coogan and the Gibbons have targeted the banality of these lists at other points as well. Um, and targeted particularly accurately because this actually did happen um in 2002 yeah, yeah he was he wasn't in 37th uh, greatest britain and he was nine places ahead of boy george um sounds like the sort of thing <laughs> they've made up but like what does it mean it has no actual significance and it yeah i so i, I quite like they've t- that they've taken the piss out of that but again it it isn't worth the whole five minute play just to get to that one gag also i mean the, the biggest disappointment of the play for me is that this is the end of the alan section and it effectively ends with him closing his eyes and sort of being deflated in video it's not he's not even on stage at the end of his own show um, i think some of this is feels, and he's not even yeah. alan he's alan being somebody yeah, else yeah exactly yeah. it feels like it's gone it's 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 quite far removed from what the audience want to see um Although I will say, if we can just move on from Alan into the sort of quote unquote Steve Coogan finale, I did enjoy this a lot. Um, yes, I thought this was very funny. There's a gag, obviously, in it that's that's repeated in um, one of his dream sequences in the trip, where somebody comes along reading a paper that says Coogan is a cunt, and then it unfolds. It's the Guardian it unfolds again and says says Dad. Um, it does feel I, I like it because it feels risky and it feels a bit controversial th- that Steve is sort of talking at length about his own kind of misgivings and he doesn't really go that hard on himself does he like he sort of alludes to being a bit of a a bit of a naughty boy but ultimately the song is about how he's been hard done by effectively yeah i guess so because it it sings like tall tales of cocaine largely but not completely fabricated yeah Yeah. Yeah. stories of strippers some exaggerated yeah i mean that bit's funny Um, because it's kind of like he's he's saying you know the drugs they did that was unfair the strippers you know that's probably okay um yeah i i i thought it was really funny um i like the sort of combination of the kind of like meek well i guess kind of laurel and hardy-esque sort of end of the pit kind of show you know kind of show tune Mm. with the amount of times you hear the word cunt yeah (laughs) i i I, as well i do think the the opening well the kind of the 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 line that starts this with him saying the policeman saying i read somewhere that you're you're a bit of a cunt like that absolutely destroyed me at the live show. I laughed so much because you just don't know that that's what's coming. I thought that was exceptionally well done. Um, also, I like the bit with the newspaper at the beginning because he then says it's the Guardian, sir. So obviously Coogan can't knock it because it's a left, yeah, left-leaning yeah, yeah. newspaper. I thought was quite fun. And again, fun. like with Whiskers, uh, they spelt Guardian uh, with I E N at the end because they can't use the actual name. Yeah, but that's also a, that's also the the long running joke that there are always typos in the Guardian. That's something that Private Eye do as well. Uh, they always deliberately misspell it. So yeah, with the with the revelation that everyone's a bit of a cunt sometimes, uh, but crucially, we've all misjudged Steve Coogan. Um, that brings us to the end <laughs> of the show. Um, I did. Th- I, I thought it's, it's an interesting way to end. It's quite brave to not end with Alan and sort of you know show a bit of a look under the bonnet. Um, but in terms of the show as a whole, let's talk a bit about the. Uh, I wouldn't say critical mauling, but it's it's certainly been knocked around the cage a little bit by the press reviews, hasn't it? I mean, I, w- I would say reading these. It's that sort of thing like where you, you know, reads like a four or something. I think these read like a two, and but they've all given him a three. I, I think, when you, you know, the actual critical breakdown is they are fairly quite harsh on him, but 
I, I think overall, like, you know, when you get the takeaway, like, out of five rating, they, they weren't too harsh. But, I mean, I think what was most interesting finding the old reviews about this is that he was massively under-rehearsed for the first half of the tour. Yeah, so, like, in October 2008, uh, these are Chortle reviews. Um, Steve Bennett writes, he stumbles over his words several times and keeps glancing at clipboards. This might still be early in the tour, but when you've got 1,800 people paying just shy of £40, you shouldn't still be practising. Uh, it then goes on, shame the, hes- shame the hesitant first half didn't live up to the brilliant second. Despite some sparkling moments and plenty of mid-level chuckles, the scenes without Partridge didn't have the sense of occasion you'd expect of one of Britain's biggest and best comedy stars making a comeback after a decade away. And then Chaucer went on to review it when it got to London in November. And, you know... It's essentially, essentially, it doesn't read to me like it progressed massively. They're still saying it's a show of two halves, um, the superlative Alan Partridge plus a collection of characters that are not only less successful but woefully less funny. Um, and they really stick it in here. The once brilliant creations either tread water or sink miserably. If they were launched on today's comedy circuit in this state, it's unlikely you'd ever have heard of the likes of Pauline Calf or Tommy Saxondale. Um yeah and i mean they literally also say it's a shoddy first half but it's a slick and funny second half i mean i think that's a pretty pretty well observed you know uh review to be honest i mean i do remember being fairly disappointed with it but i i do think that you know those characters kind of have no right to be as popular as as they are um if you just take it as a kind of like you know a show of the of the less successful characters they have they aren't they are not <laughs> Uh, good enough to be performing to that many people for that price. I can give you a quick roundup of the other reviews as well. So that was all Chortle stuff that I just read there. Um, but The Guardian basically ran a piece in October 2008, which was kind of basically an amalgamation of other reviews. So The Telegraph uh, found the whole experience a bitter disappointment uh, and called it a mediocre shambles. Uh, they wanted to say the script itself, most of it felt as if it had been written on the bus on the way to the gig. Oh, ouch. Ouch. And the Times uh, wrote that it had a scrappy structure and an under-rehearsed star, but praised the wit of a short play about Thomas More and half-wished the entire show was about Alan Partridge. Well, uh, good for Dominic Maxwell of the Times. His dream is about to become a reality. Um, I wonder as well, I mean, I I don't think any of these are completely inaccurate, but I wonder that if, if reviewers, you know, have their pens slash knives out a little bit for Steve Coogan um, just because previous shows have sort of you know made a bit of a mockery of how how much he doesn't care or how much he does care about reviews and I feel like people uh, he, he can he, he can be sort of prickly I think in his sort of reactions to the press and his relationship with the press and or certainly you know some of some some newspapers and I think it's rare that people get an opportunity like this to sort of to, to really stick the knife in um, I'm not saying that, that they weren't right to do that. Um, I, I don't think it's as bad as these reviews say. Um, I think the I think the non-play Partridge and the finale are both. I, I enjoy them a lot. I think they're pretty great. I think the opening half had some nice moments, but it wasn't kind of. I mean, I think again, perhaps I'm being softer on it because I'm watching a 49p DVD rather than, rather than, you know, imagine <laughs> going back to spending 40 quid yeah. to sit in, you know, to travel to sit in front of it. But 
Oh, and I, but I think particularly, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of an error on Coogan's part that they've had reviewers in on a night when he's reading a script off of a clipboard in front of a paying audience. It's like, well, you've, you're going to get a critical morning for that and you've brought that upon yourself. Um, so, yeah, the, the reviews, once he'd actually learned the script, are a bit more favourable, I guess, to be fair. I mean, you've got to hope that he's learned his lesson by stratagem because, again, you know, we've gone from 200 dates to 86 dates. I think stratagem is going to be something like like 20 to 30 shows. So there isn't time to learn on the job. It's got to be ready night one, hasn't it, really? So does anyone have any final thoughts about Alan Partridge and other less successful characters? Perhaps uh, some the uh, the show up in a sentence, word or noise? Disappointing. I'll go with fine. I'll go with... Broad agreement that this is fine. Yep, I would say a mixed bag, but the bag is leaking, <laughs> and it's fi- and it's full <laughs> of fish symphony. <laughs> a bit of fish I mean, symphony. I- That's life. <laughs> oh, very good. I-, I think the whole thing is kind of like we've discussed. Looking back at all these shows, is it just feels like a full-on Alan live show is definitely the correct way to go. Um, you know, from lessons in life management to bouncing back to forward solutions that as a style and a format makes sense the fact we've gone from half an hour of alan to 45 minutes of alan so i think if they stick to a forward solutions type thing and don't try and do alan doing a historical play if they if they work around that idea hopefully stratagem is going to be good and hopefully steve is rehearsed up uh, indeed so yes join us on the final step of the road to stratagem arriving at stratagem central stopping at shattered dreams parkway and hopefully not inflated ticket price uh parkway as well um <laughs> if you've got any thoughts on uh, on this show or or on or got any predictions for stratagem or uh, or you want to talk a little bit about the man he thinks he's it please do get in touch instagram at monkey tennis pod twitter at the partridge pod facebook.com slash the partridge pod uh, or email the partridge pod at gmail.com or leave us a voice note on the monkey tennis hotline 07923 600 um, if you've enjoyed what you've heard and want to chuck us a couple of quid to say thanks we'd much appreciate it at ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis and if you're steve coogan listening and you think that we've been a little bit harsh on the show don't worry steve everyone's a bit of a cunt sometimes thanks and goodbye i am hopping mad and i want something in the middle aha yep absolutely yep 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 absolutely monkey tennis bring bring there's a new chat in town i had the last laugh Damn. monkey tennis with a chuckle with a chuckle monkey tennis radical awesome mega monkey tennis where's my assistant i do not know Okay. Monkey tennis? Edmonds is a total wasp of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. They said, who the hell is that? Like, this is great banter. Yeah. Back of the net. Monkey tennis? The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.